Well, here we are, mostly on time, which is perfect for us. We're just kicking around a few subjects. Uh, Alaska is starting to show, well, it's been about 11 or 12 straight days now of record numbers of infected people. Some of that is because there's more testing. Some of that is because there's more activity. And it, uh, but I did notice that there was a, there was a, a significant number of elderly people in the latest uh, uh, infected rates. So I will expect, I think, um, if this continues, they've already put us at a red alert here in Anchorage. And so I would expect that uh, we're going to go back to some kind of um, structure that is, uh, uh, would require that we take more precautions or the precautions that they wish for us to take. In any event, just I know that's happening all over the country, and this is how, this is the new paradigm, I guess, that we're living under. In any event, uh, we will adapt and do what's necessary. Also, I saw today in the news that the uh, 2,600 years ago, the Egyptian Empire, which of course was combating at that time Nebuchadnezzar's Babylonian Empire, uh, was uh, they found sarcophagus tombs, not tombs, but coffins that are dated 2,600 years ago, which I think will be fantastically interesting. And they said... The Egyptologist said that uh, we have a discovery that is unprecedented. So that will be fantastically interesting, I believe, because at the end of the age, evidences will be revealed. That's a scriptural principle. (coughs) Okay, excuse me. Don't sit in the front row, especially nowadays. huh? Ah, October the 4th, 2020, lecture discussion number 118 on the book of Joel, Daniel, Revelation, Ecclesiastes. Okay, here we go again. We're attacking the mountain of material that has been recently adduced with our teaspoon for a shovel. That's what we're up against here. It might take a while. One of the cliffside mottos, of course, is always lower your expectations. And uh, uh, that's going to prevail, I'm sure. Today is going to be a continuation of the Adam-Moses-Christ mystery. And notice that I called it a mystery. Uh, we have this relationship in my view. I'm going to try to make a greater case for it. I can make a case for this for months. I'm just trying to get it truncated enough to where you get uh, enough information that you are now on your own. But this is uh, today continuation of Adam, Moses, Christ, and I'm calling it a mystery. It's appropriate to refer to the Adam, Moses, Christ combining because the initial as a mystery because uh, it is. It's incredible. Uh, I don't even know how to describe it uh, as I have researched it over my so-called career. First book that I ever read on this was, had 300 aspects of Moses that they had decided were attributable to Christ. Now, they didn't go back to Adam, but you, you should, because if Moses is defined as a type of Christ and Adam is defined as a type of Christ by Scripture, then we should expect that they will intersect. So, but the mystery actually... Uh, comes becomes this way. The initial question 
whenever you're talking about what the Bible is saying to us, is it always should be why. Why has God, and I'm going to use language that is intentionally incorrect, because why can I do that? I am a highly trained religious professional. But this is incorrect language. Why has God incorporated Adam and Moses? If you prefer it this way, why has the God of creation, the infinite, timeless, omniscient God in the flesh, why did he select out Adam, Romans 5.14, and Moses, Deuteronomy 18.15, why did he select them out to portray him? Now, incorporated and selected out when attempting to describe Jesus Christ is fraught with difficulty. Those are poorly chosen words purposely by the HTRP. Some theologians have suggested that the infinite outside of time one, Christ, has copied or appropriated. He has, uh, he's the one that has done the following, if you will. That's what they will say. The, the appropriated aspects of Adam and Moses and added them to himself. You'll see that pretty common. That is immediately placing oneself in the conflict with Revelation 13:13 13, 13, that says the plan of salvation was before time because time is one of the foundations of the earth. And time descends from consciousness. So we know that it, it did not come before Christ. It has to, it's, time is dependent upon consciousness. So he is the consciousness, the ultimate, the absolute consciousness that installed time. So you have him before time, outside of time. Therefore, he cannot appropriate something that is inside of time. Hopefully that makes sense. Probably doesn't. It's okay. I am sympathetic to these guys, though, and women that write this kind of position. I'm sympathetic to anybody who attempts to explain God's observational frame of reference um, because he is outside of his creation and not subject to time. His observational frame is the authoritarian one. It's the one in authority. We have our own individual one. He has the ultimate one. That fits doctrinally with respect to free will and omniscience, but that's another subject. Okay, it's the same subject. But we can hardly conceive what it is like, if it's even possible to imagine timelessness. We, we can't get it, much less competently disentangle the issue that I'm dealing with here, with his Christ, Moses, and Adam. And that all of that fits into the mystery of Adam, Moses, and Christ. And so mystery, again, is accurate. And, and for those of us who are inside of time that are sentient beings, which are uh, the mankind, us, of course, or Adam kind, if you prefer, angelic realm and animals that have sentience, those of us in inside of time, it may and sometimes does appear that Jesus Christ is copying Adam and Moses. He's not. He can't. He didn't. But it does seem like it, and it's okay. Absolutely okay if you want to think of it that way, as long as you know you're wrong. You do whatever you want, as long as you know you're wrong. I used to, as a teacher, I used to have a sign around my neck in the early 1980s, and it said, I believe you. And they would come up to me with their homework assignments, and they would be incomplete, or they'd have some other uh, 
explanation for why they couldn't turn it in that day. And I'd say, just a second, I'd reach into my desk and I'd put the sign around my neck. It always made them to stop talking. And I thought that was actually one of my more clever ideas. Same thing's kind of true here. It's okay to be wrong if you know you're being wrong on purpose. Okay, that's not true either, is it? But at least have an understanding that what you're saying doesn't really fit. But if it helps you uh, conceive it, imagine it, then I will give you dispensational grace, though I have none of that. All right. So, again, Exodus 3.14. So important. I am that I am. I am that I am. Directly, unequivocally declaring that Christ is the one who holds time. Colossians 1, 15 through 18. So reconcile his point of reference when we are in this typological facet to investigation of Adam and Moses. And good luck with doing that, but it is what we're going to try to do. So hopefully you've all packed a lunch. With that said, the angelic host likely did not, does not fully comprehend his timelessness. I can see that they don't, especially Ezekiel 28, Isaiah 14, Genesis 1, 1, 1, 2. I can see that they did not fully understand that the God of creation is timeless. Because he will seem like he is inside of time and he will act like he is inside of time. Because he can be inside of his time and outside of his time at the same time. That's something that is, I believe the angelic host has a very, if they have a grasp on it or had a grasp on it, it's not, it is not complex. Certainly not complete. So when they witness Adam being created, and, and though they heard the Elohim speak aloud, Genesis 1.26, the Elohim, God, triune God, Genesis 1.1 Elohim in 1.26 says, let us make Adam in our image. And of course, he does it again in Genesis 3.22. He says, the man, Adam, Adam has become like one of us. So they heard that. The angelic host heard that. The behold, they heard, the Adam has become like one of us. One of the Elohim is like Adam. Now, which one is the obvious question, as you know, I've asked it many times. But just think about the angels. When they hear that, they think, okay, there's this relationship developing between the Elohim and one of the us. Again, we know the relationship is Christ and Adam. That's revealed in the, in the Bible. So they have to evaluate what's, how's it working. They can remember, maybe they, maybe they have excellent record keeping, everything that Adam did. And now they know that he is, he is like Christ. And God says, let us be, behold, the man has become like one of us. But repeat all of that. Why, to kind of keep it together as much as I can. Why has Jesus Christ chosen, willfully done this with Adam and Moses specifically? Why has he used them, selected them, copied them? All of those words, no good. But I hope you get the point. Why, did he, why Adam and Moses specifically? And obviously the angels, fallen and unfallen, obviously 
just as mankind has, just as we have, we recognize eventually what Christ did with respect to Moses and Adam. Again, I'm using language that is inside of time. Christ intended then for both the angels and man to gain understanding of him by this association that he purposed. And keep in mind at all times that omniscience and timelessness are not contradictory with free will. And all beings that I've discussed so far have free will. In case you might stray into that pit, snare, punji stick filled thing. Okay. Christ intends to demonstrate his mind. And that's the mind of God. The mind of God will show whom he has created his thoughts as well as speak his thoughts. And he has given us Adam and Moses as two examples. The Bible even says examples. They are made as as examples. Israel, and of course you know it's tupos, which means type. Examples, type. He has given us Moses and Adam as types of him. And so, uh, uh, this is, and he's doing this for our sake so that we can understand him. It's therefore, in my opinion, in my humbler opinion, Uh, advisable to assemble all that we can about these two men in Scripture as it's revealed in Scripture, as written in Scripture. We should write down and compare and study everything they said and everything they did and everything they're described about doing. And I, I submit as well, by doing so, we can now deduce what both Moses and Adam thought and what they each decided and why. Because we should expect a similarity between the two of them, as I said earlier. Both of them will culminate in the actions of Christ. So we would expect Moses and Adam to feather together. So that's the premise today, the hypothesis. In other words, Adam and Moses will be the same. And you can probably count on that most of the time, if not every time, because of how they are decided upon and described in Scripture. Again, Romans 5.14, Deuteronomy 18.15. Not on the board, but I hope I've said it enough. So let's go on to this. For example, what of Moses would be correspondent to Adam's decision to take and eat the tree of surely die? Please don't call me surely. But he took of the fruit and ate it, knowing that it is the tree of surely die, or the tree of death, or the tree of knowledge from evil, knowledge of good from evil. Any of those appellations are appropriate. What did Moses do that is the same as that, or at least correspondent? Adam willfully, intentionally, undeceived, undeceived chose to die. Where did Moses willingly, intentionally, undeceived choose to die? It's got to be there somewhere. So where is it? Now, I have lecture 117. That would be last week, I hope. I have lately brought the substitutionality of Deuteronomy 3.26. I said there's Deuteronomy 3.26 
demonstrates that there's a substitutionality between Moses and Israel. Moses puts himself in front of Israel. He wishes to sacrifice or substitute himself. And I think 326 Deuteronomy explains that. And I also put on Numbers 12.3 and Numbers 20. And I said, whenever you begin to think of what Moses is doing, you have to reconcile it. It has to comport with Deuteronomy 3.26, Numbers 12.3, and then, of course, Numbers 20. Numbers 20 has to fit with those other two passages. Let's go this way. Why did Moses smoke the rock twice at Numbers 20? Notice I used the word smote. I'll keep using it because the old King James is correct here. The rock is killed. Why did Moses kill the rock? At Numbers 20, was it the same reason that Adam ate of the tree of surely die? Is this the place? In other words, does Adam's death equal Moses' death? Did both men choose to die for the same reason? Is the fruit of death equal to the smoting of the rock twice? I'll keep saying the smoting of the rock twice so that you know smoting is correct. I'll beat it into the the Adam, if you conclude that it is, then the Adam death equals the Moses death, which is what we're trying to accomplish here today. So next, the connection of the substitutionary sacrificing death of Christ. We would have three of these. If Moses is substitutionally putting himself in a position to die for the sake of Israel to live, then we have to have a place where Adam puts himself substitutionally in a place to die so that the woman that he renames Eve can live. And then we have to have a place where Christ substitutionally uh, gave up his life so that his bride, the saved, will live. Oh, there would have to be three of them. Two of them, of course, are examples, are two posts. Two of them are types. One, again, is the absolute incredible culmination, the antitype, it is called, of the types. It is the pinnacle. And obviously, we can see substitutionary sacrificial death with respect to Christ. So, where is it with Adam? Where is it with Moses? And more obviously, the woman of Adam... The bride, the woman whom God gave Adam, uh, would have to be somewhere congruent to the nation of Israel, which is the wife of God, to whom God assigned Moses. And let's just say that it's not coincidental, especially since both Eve and Israel, Genesis 3, 4 through 6, and Exodus 17, 1 through 7, both of them accept the lie of Satan. Eve at Genesis 3, 4 through 6. And Israel, the woman, the wife of God at Exodus 17, 1 through 7. So that would mean that the fruit of Eve in Genesis 3, 4 through 6 is equal to Exodus 17. 1 through 7, which is the contention from Israel. So fruit and contention would be equal. That's my new mathematical formula, in case you were wondering. And now, 
sometimes I don't explain it very well, and I know that. Uh, and in the event that the highly trained religious professional has failed to explain this very well so far, I don't know. I'm looking at all of you have masks on. Three of you are asleep, and there's only three of you here. So it's hard for me to know if I've confused people. Uh, and I recognize that I do. I have not been, just in case I haven't been straightforward. I'm not crystalline, some might say. Okay, no one says that. I'm accused sometimes of ambiguity. I, I know. It's impossible. It's, how can that possibly? No, me of all of the HTRPs, uh, I'm enigmatical. But uh, maybe the, the, that might have happened here. And I'm worried about it. I was, I'm writing all of this. I'm thinking this could easily get off the rails. So perhaps this one time in my entire so-called career, I might have been a little bit imprecise. Uh, and I don't want that to happen. So I'm going to try to rectify it a little bit here. Maybe I'll rectify it. So what am I saying? It's not give peace a chance. Thanks for laughing. I pay my wife to laugh when I do these, don't I? Huge sums of money. You're about to make a run for it, aren't you? You've got so much in that one coffee can. <laughs> it is, in fact, in my opinion, that the eating of the fruit by Adam is identical to the smoting of the rock twice at Numbers 20.11. And therefore, the woman Eve at Genesis 3.6 is represented or is similar or is the same to the woman Israel, the nation of Israel at Numbers 20.1 through 6. So let's go and repeat that and make sure that I've made the case, just in case somebody is not familiar with my structure or my system. So here we have Genesis 3, verse 4. Then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So the woman saw the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes and the tree desirable to make wise. She took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her and he ate. Now, there is a period of time between her eating and his eating. If you haven't heard me explain that and make that obvious, then it's somewhere on the Internet. Ask Dave if he exists. Now to Numbers 20. Then the children of Israel, the whole congregation, came into the wilderness of Zin in the first month, and the people stayed in Kadesh, and Miriam died there and was buried there. How come Miriam died? Why there? Why that place? Going on, verse 2. Now there was no water for the congregation, so they gathered together against Moses and Aaron. And the people contended with Moses and spoke, saying, If only we had died when our brethren died before the Lord. Why have you brought, us, brought up the assembly of the Lord into this wilderness that we and our animals should die here? Why have you made us come out of Egypt to bring us to this evil place? It is not a place of grain or figs. Probably a coincidence that figs is involved here. No. Or vines or pomegranates. Granites. Nor is there any water to drink. So Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly to the 
door of the tabernacle of meeting and they fell on their faces and the glory of the Lord appeared to them. Now, if I'm to make a list of components, as I'm usually predisposed to do, normally I would put it on the board. I'm worried that I won't have time. Let's see. I'm right. Genesis 3, 4 through 8. This is, I'm picking out, selecting elements. You will not surely die. What is, I, what is Satan saying there? God has lied to you. The woman believed that as evidenced by what she did. The woman did not believe God through, through Adam. She did believe Satan and says so. I was deceived at her trial. The woman believed that God had lied and therefore God is evil. The woman is now in sin death. Adam undeceived, First uh, Timothy 3.14, goes into death, follows the woman, dies with the woman. There's figs here. Again, that symbol of figs. And the Lord God comes, if you, I didn't read that. And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. So after all of these, after the first five there, the sixth one would be the Lord God comes. Now Numbers 21 through 6. Also, we're going to see, uh, we're going to read Numbers 11 here in a second. And Exodus 17. Miriam dies. A woman dies and is buried. Israel gathers to kill Moses and Aaron. In case you think that's not true, they, they came up and surrounded them, didn't they? Why did they do that? They come against them. They gather to come to kill Moses and Aaron. Number 11, the fire of the Lord. Well, we better, let's just go to Numbers 11. Now, when the people complained... Let's start at verse 11. Better this way. We'll start at 10. Then Moses heard the people weeping throughout their families, everyone at the door of the tent. The anger of the Lord was greatly aroused. Moses was also displeased. So Moses said to the Lord, why have you afflicted your servant? And why have I not found favor in your sight? That you have laid the burden of all of these people on me. Did I conceive all of these people? Did I beget them? That you should say to me, carry them in your bosom as a guardian carries a nursing child to the land which you swore to their fathers. Where am I to get meat to give all these people? For they weep all over me saying, give us meat and we may eat. I I am not able to bear all of these people alone because the burden is too heavy for me. If you treat me like that, please kill me here. This is Moses saying this to God. The people of Israel are so difficult for him. Verse 11.1 Now when the people complained, it displeased the Lord, for the Lord heard it, and his anger was aroused. So the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed in the outskirts of the camp. So this is a very difficult time. And Moses says, if you treat me like this to God, please kill me right here and now. If I have found favor in your sight, do do not let me see my wretchedness. That's what Moses says. So, there's a little context. Moses is afflicted by the wife of the Lord and he asks for death. Israel accuses God of being a murderer in in Numbers 11, 1 through 15. But see also Exodus 17, 1 through 7. They say the promise is evil. This is an evil place. God has lied. And then in Numbers 20, the Lord God comes. 
And Moses and Aaron fall on their face, right? And the glory of the Lord appears to them. And the glory of the Lord appears to Adam. So I didn't put it on the board, but hopefully you can find those pieces without that being so delineated. Now, I'm immediately going to concede there are resolved, unresolved, or there are difficulties to be resolved. Numbers 20:12 being foremost. Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, because you did not believe me, he says, to sanctify me, to glorify me, to hallow me. All those words interchangeable. Because you did not believe me to hallow me in the eyes of the children of Israel. Therefore, you shall not bring this assembly into the promised land. And note the issue now. Moses did not believe God. Did not sanctify him. He hit the rock or he smote the rock twice. Let me read that. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, take the rod, you and your brother Aaron, gather the congregation together, speak to the rock before their eyes and it will yield its water. Thus you shall bring water for them out of the flock and give them drinks so the congregation and their animals... So God adds the animals, doesn't he? In 9, so Moses took the rod from before the Lord as he commanded him. And Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock. And he said to them, here now, you rebels, must we bring water for you out of this rock? Then Moses lifted his hand and smote the rock twice with his rod. And water came out abundantly and the congregation and their animals drank. And that's what God said. You didn't believe me. Because you didn't believe me, to sanctify me, to hallow me in the eyes of the children of Israel, you're not going to go, you're not going to bring this assembly into the promised land. So Muriel dies here. And then you look at verse 22. So verse 1, we have Muriel dead. Verse 22, we have Aaron dead. That is not to be disregarded. But again, note the issue. Moses did not believe God about something. Did not glorify him. Did not hallow him. He didn't speak to the rock. He spoke to the nation of Israel. Called them rebels. And hit the rock twice. Smote it twice. Killed it twice. Obvious question again. What specifically did Moses and Aaron not believe? (coughs) Notice that whatever it was that Moses did not believe... It had no effect. Had no effect on the rock that is Christ. 1 Corinthians 10.4. Put that on the board for sure. And that's a key element. Holy Spirit through Paul identifies cross, cross. Identifies Christ as the rock. Christ equals rock. I've always thought it would be a really bad idea to call yourself the rock. People are willing to do that all the time. Do not think it's wise. Never put your hand to your mouth. There we go. Whatever they didn't believe, it didn't have any impact here, did it? The rock released the living water. Moses and Aaron were commanded to speak to Christ the rock. And the rock would yield its living water. 
Moses and Aaron disobeyed the commandment of the Lord, fully knowing that the consequence would be what? Death. Does that sound familiar? It is death, so I assume they knew. I'm positive they knew. I think it was, that's the point of it. It goes back again to where he says, kill me now. And I propose, obviously again, that I'm going to say obviously so many times today, it'll be obvious. I propose that what happened here aligns with Adam's decision in Genesis 3.6. Adam knew. Adam was not deceived, 1 Timothy 2.14. Can't bring up 1 Timothy 2.14 enough. Every time you think about Adam, you've got to have that down there somewhere so that you make sure you don't deviate from it. Obviously, then, if if 1 Timothy 2.14 applies to Adam, it's going to somehow apply to Moses. Where does it apply to Moses? Where was he not deceived and yet he did something that resulted in his death? If Adam and Moses are linked, and I believe they are so tied, it's almost impossible to get them untied. I think it is impossible. They are bound to one another, as you might have already certainly deduced by now, I hope. Keeping, If you keep, read ahead, and I hope some of you are, subsequent from this Kadesh incident here with the smoting of the rock twice, the garments of Aaron are stripped off of him. He's stripped of his garments. Obviously, that connects to Genesis 3. It's the Genesis 3 complement. Genesis 3.21, the removal of the fig coverings. And ultimately, the death of Moses, Deuteronomy 34.7. Thus, you have this pattern developing. The acceptance of the lie of Satan by the woman Eve... And the woman nation of Israel, the nation of Israel is often described as a woman. Women are ecclesiastical entities in scripture if they're symbols, and they are nations. And the woman nation of Israel, so I have the acceptance of this law. You see it here when they're gathered against Moses and Aaron in Numbers 20. It's exactly the same in Exodus 17. You see it everywhere. So I have the acceptance of the lie of Satan that God is evil and he's brought them out there to kill them. And they're all going to die. Uh, So I have Satan. uh, Let me repeat it. I have the woman Eve do that. And I have the woman nation of Israel do that. It's then followed by the willful knowing act of the servant leader in the case of Adam and in Moses to choose death through disobedience to a direct order of the Lord God. The direct order for Adam was Genesis 2, 7. Don't eat from that tree. The direct order of Moses was, speak to the rock. Sum it up, Moses knew the consequences of his decision would be death, as did Adam. Moses goes, here now, you rebels, must we bring the living water from the rock that is God himself in the flesh. I, I know, I inserted commentary. I commingled Numbers 20.10 with 1 Corinthians 10.4. That's... My job, that's my purview, is the beloved HTRP. Beloved may be a little strained. Anyway, Moses obviously expects God to accept his resignation, as does Aaron. And and they're forcing it, in a sense. I've made this statement earlier in my career, so it's nothing new that I have considered. They both fully know why the water flows from the rock. They know why the seas part. They know why the staff, the rod, becomes a consuming serpent 
They know why the dust turns into lice. They know all of these things. So they know. They know the source of the power of the miracle. They know the meanings of the miracle. They most certainly know that it's not them. That it's not Moses and Aaron doing any of this. They've got it. That's why they're falling on their face all the time. Moses could no more bring living water from the rock than you and I could bring living water from the rock. So why did he say, must we bring forth living water for you? He knows that's not possible. So what is he going to prove by saying that? And then he hits the rock or smote, kills the rock twice, knowing that's a mess. Why did Moses smote the rock twice? It almost seems kind of cartoonish and silly. Someone this wise. So clearly wrong is to be comical. It's almost as wrong as you can possibly be. It's absolute wrong, except for one thing. Moses took the rod. He's given two things to do. Speak to the rock, take the rod. He takes the rod. By killing the rock, smoting the rock three times. The source of life is Christ, right? Christ the rock only. And by killing the rock, smoting the rock three times in total, Exodus 17.6, now Numbers 28, adds up to three. Uh, even though they're not the same rock. Something you should know. I got rock one. I got rock two. I have Mirabah and Massa. And I have at Horeb. And I have Mirabah at Kadesh. So I got two rocks, but they're not the same rock. Why the difference? Why didn't he go back to the same rock at Exodus 17.6? He didn't. Stuff we know. That might explain this. The prophet and the high priest, Moses and Aaron. Moses is the prophet who is a type of the prophet. Moses is the high priest who is a type of the high priest. They portray two of the three offices of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the great prophet in his first coming, his first advent. It's his first office that he gives us. He lays down his life when he is the prophet. Moses is a type of the prophet. Christ is the high priest. He is the intercessor, the intermediator. He's the defense attorney, if you wish to think of it that way, of his sheep, of the believers. And then his third office is that he's the returning king to his creation. We should therefore expect Adam and Moses to not reign as king. They would have to do what? They have to die. Why do we see both? Well, not, that's not the wrong way. We do see both provide a mediatorial element. Adam mediates for Eve, Genesis 3.12. That's why he says, the woman you gave me. He is arguing for mercy for her. He's also explaining why he did it. He failed her and he knew it. He lost her and he knew it. And he was trying to take responsibility 
Moses for Israel, Exodus 32:11, does the same thing. The question remains, what specifically did Moses not believe? And I think Numbers 20:13 provides necessary information on Numbers 20:12. Let's read Numbers 20:12. Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, because you did not believe me to hallow me in the eyes of the children of Israel, therefore you should not bring this assembly into the land which I have given them. I read that. But I left off, conveniently, Numbers 20.13. You can't disengage Numbers 20.12 from Numbers 20.13. Why would I do that? Besides, beyond the obvious that Numbers 20.12 and 13 are different passages or different verses, but they're not supposed to be separated. Yet, I separated them. It might seem to some listeners that I may have done this on purpose to lead you astray. The deliberate withholding of evidence in order to confuse the audience. Some might think that. Though some listeners that would think that have probably listened to one sermon already. And fortunately, I have the Cliffside Legal Defense Authority to counter specious arguments against my character. And having had to lie on my behalf thousands of times, the Cliffside Legal Defense Authority is impressively experienced. I intentionally misled you. This was the water of Mirabah because the Lord, the, the, because the children of Israel contended with the Lord and he was hallowed in them or among them. This was the water of Mirabah because the children of Israel contended. Literally, it's in contention with the Lord and he was honored. He was hallowed. He was glorified in them. So two things. Israel contended with the Lord. Uh, Susan and Val Joe, that word contended is very important as you know, Jude 9. The Lord was hallowed. The living water flowed from the rock. The rock yielded its life and God was sanctified, glorified and honored. Did that occur at Genesis 3? I say yes, absolutely it occurred at Genesis 3. What Moses did at Numbers 20, honored, sanctified, and glorified the Lord. That says, it says it clearly in Numbers 20.13. And I believe that absolutely Genesis 3.21 is the glorification of the Elohim of Genesis 1.1. Absolutely it happened at Genesis 3. The principle then is the, uh, the disobedience of Adam and Moses. Not principle, I guess that wouldn't be the right way. <coughs> the the anatomy would be better. The disobedience of Adam and no, huh, disobedience of Adam and Moses ends in the glorification of Christ. Thank you. In other words, something that they did in disobedience, God used it for what? For good. So why do Adam, Moses, and Aaron all of them die? They all die. Surely die. They do. Yet Eve is the mother of all the living. Adam, though, is the father of all the dead. Even though it seems that Adam, uh, though, though committing disobedience willingly, introducing sin to the world, 
he clearly is the father of the dead. But Adam is a complicated figure, just as Moses and Aaron is. Whatever, it didn't seem to matter what the motives were, I guess, is what I'm saying. They still nonetheless die. That's how it works. That's the commandment, right? Israel, who's, a, who's just constantly accusing God of being, being evil... They, through them, through the Jews, comes the seed, comes the Messiah, comes the, the Savior of the world. So through the woman, Israel, comes the Savior of the world. It doesn't seem like they're a very good prospect for that. Uh, and Moses, he doesn't get to see the promise. He doesn't get to go into the promised land. I'm sorry, he only gets to see the promise. He doesn't get to enter. He's denied. He's forbidden entry. Doesn't seem fair. Has to be fair. Has to be wonderful. Because it says, and he was hallowed in Israel. Because the children of Israel contended with the Lord, he was hallowed in them or among them. So let's reframe this slightly. The command from God is to speak to the rock, which is Christ. If you speak to the rock, it will release living water. Make sure you take the rod. So take the rod. Speak to the rock. You're going to get water. Again, just like you did Exodus 17, 6, where you have this incredible picture of Christ in both places, 1 Corinthians 10, 4. At the first Mirabah, Horeb, Moses was to slay the rock. And the rock gives its life in order to yield living water. So we have Mirabah 1, Exodus 17, 7. And Mirabah 2, Numbers 20, 12 through 13. And I should include that at Mirabah 1, the place of the rock is named, again, Massa and Mirabah, because that means testing and contention. Testing, contention. We have this testing element. And note really quickly that Moses is going around naming places, and Adam names animals and women, or one woman. So both of them spend time naming things. And it's important that they name them because they know what the namings mean. More things to note. Meribah 2, though Moses intentionally did almost the opposite of God's direct order, nonetheless, living water came out abundantly and the congregation that had gathered against Moses and Aaron, they're going to kill them. That's what they're doing. Numbers 22 and But those people that came to kill Moses and Aaron and their animals got living water and they drank. So those who accused God of being evil, who came up against Moses, sought to kill Moses, the prophet, Deuteronomy 18.15. They were saved and this glorifies God and it hallows him in Israel. You got to put that together somehow. A few more questions. God instructed Moses to speak to the rock. As we know, as I keep saying, the most obvious question then is what? Did he give him any further instruction? Did he tell him what to say? It seems like he did. What did Moses say? We know what God did not tell Moses to say. He did not tell Moses to say, here now you rebels, must we bring water for you out of this rock? That was a substitution that was unjustified, if you will, uh, uh, not not, uh, considered, certainly not approved. 
so let's give you kind of an uh, kind of obvious, uh, I want to say a kind of sort of maybe answer to a question that I probably haven't asked. Moses did not believe God would save Moses from the mob who were surrounding him, nor save Aaron. He didn't believe that. And he didn't want to be saved. He's ready to get out of this job. It wasn't going well. Get me out. Let somebody else try. Kill me now. I can't do it. The mob surrounded him and Aaron. Again, why did they surround them? Did they surround Christ? Yes, they did. Where did they surround Christ? At Gethsemane. So now I know there's something to do with Gethsemane that's in this Numbers 20 account. And Moses also, in my opinion, did not believe God would give the living water to this rebellious nation. That's why they were going to kill him. As soon as he couldn't bring water for them, what's, he's no good to them anymore. And so that's the end of Moses and Aaron. We, we got, we're going to, they're constantly trying to replace them. It happened at Korah, right? The Korah Rebellion. So I don't think that he believed that God would give living water to a rebellious nation. And so they refused to obey the order. Because they knew the consequences to them. They knew God would have to do to them what he had to do with Adam. And I can't neglect it whenever I see all of these kinds of words come up. Matthew 6, 5 through 14. And you know what that is. That's where Jesus Christ himself, the word made flesh, the invisible made visible. God himself reveals his template for our prayer. What we should say. And how it differs from the hypocrisy of that time and the hypocrisy of our time. How does it go? Our Father who art in heaven, what's the next line? Hallowed be thy name. The name of God was hallowed at Mirabah. So, Mirabah. Second Mirabah. So repeat. How is the name hallowed at Numbers 20? It clearly is hallowed at Mirabah 2. How is it so? It would seem to the casual, shallow reader of Scripture that God is insulted there, that he is mocked, he's disparaged. Uh, face to his face, if you will. They treat him with great disrespect. But that's not how it resolves, is it? God was hallowed, sanctified, glorified in this. And that is the ending. So now we've got to reconcile the ending, the conclusion with all the information. No one, this is an unexpected ending. This is a, what do you call that in the murder mysteries? Uh, yeah, this is a, no one saw this coming. You should not have seen this coming. But this is the twist. Yes, thank you. This is the ending that no one should have written. But it, here it is. There's certainly mercy given. There was a Gethsemane too. God, Christ didn't kill all the Romans, did he? Or all the Israels that came, Israelites that came to kill him. He didn't kill one of them. He knocked them all down, made them lie there. They were, they were in the ground, their bodies in the dust. Oh, hey. That's interesting. They were pro probably unable to function, move at all. But uh, it, that's what he did at Gethsemane, Matthew 26, I hope. Speak to the rock. That's what he says. What did he want him to say? What did he tell him to say? 
Joel 2.32, whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Romans 9.33, 10.10, whoever, whosoever believes on him will not be put to shame. Joel 2.26. Essentially, in a situation where everything is corrupted, everything, the first 12 verses are corrupted. It's a hot mess. Moses, the man Moses, was, who is very humble, more humble than all the men who were on the face of the earth. Numbers 12.3. This is your leader here. This Moses seems to collapse. He didn't. So does Aaron. Everybody says they did. Everybody says they were idiots here. They were not. They were careful thinkers. Why do people want the, the, those who are types of Christ in the Bible to be idiots? But anyway, all of this mess, all of this, go ahead. If you want to think that Moses collapsed here and was... Uh, and was a fool, as was Aaron. God still gives his living water. Still does it. Which is why, what? He's hallowed. He saves the wretched, the rebellious, the sinful, the stubborn, the unbelieving. In spite of ourselves, he saves us. Never because of ourselves. None of us are righteous. We will never be righteous until he makes us righteous. Not, no, not one. None are righteous. No, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who does good. No, not one. Ecclesiastes 7.20, Psalm 14, Romans 3.10-18. That's a foundational principle. Why does he save dysfunctional people? That's all he's got. It's the only ones that can be saved because there are none other. Again, it is the it is the guiding principle of Scripture, the gospel of Christ. It's the truth of the rock, salvation for everyone who believes in the name of Jesus Christ. The just shall live by faith in Christ Jesus. That's the lesson of Numbers 20. That's why he's hallowed. But there's more to unravel here. Obviously, I barely touched it. Let's just ask you a couple of easy questions. Why does Aaron die first? Everyone, he's the oldest, three years older, but why does he die first? He's stripped of his garments and he dies first. And the deaths of Moses are tied to Numbers 20. I hope I've explained that a little bit because they're tied to Genesis 3. Moses took the rod as commanded. But he didn't speak to the rock. How's that the same as Adam? Because it is. In other words, Moses did half the job. Didn't he? So Adam had to do half the job. What half did Moses do? What half did Adam do? Figure that out. And that is where we will stop. I hope some of that made some sense to somebody. If not, it's the same as every Sunday.